You're listening to 15 Minutes with a Mensch. For this episode, Sarah and I decided to co-host and visit with a new interim director at Redef Shalom, Barb Feig. Neither Sarah nor I have had a chance to meet Barb yet, so we thought a podcast interview would be a great introduction and a way for us to get to know her better, and possibly for you to get to know her better as well. I say possibly because Barb is no stranger to the Jewish community of Pittsburgh. After a career in stage management and nonprofit work for the ACLU, where she spent 16 years and also served as deputy director, Barb became the executive director at Tree of Life Synagogue in 2019, about nine months after the shooting. Barb became the interim executive director at Redef Shalom in February of 2022, so by her own admission, she is still very much learning the intricacies of the organization. However, Sarah and I were more interested in her perspectives on how she balances her own Judaism with working as an executive in a Jewish organization, what the role of an executive director actually is, and finally, where she sees the future of Jewish synagogues going. We hope you enjoy our first joint-hosted podcast episode with Redef Shalom Interim Director, Barb Feig. Okay, so we have a very, very special guest, and I say we because I am co-hosting this episode with Sarah. Sarah Greenwald is with, we're doing this one together. We had such a, a big guest, we had to get the crew together and do it, do, you know, a little tripod podcast. Together. Yeah, got the gang back together. Um, so we are here with... Barb Feig, uh, who is the new interim executive director at Redef Shalom Congregation. Hi, Barb. Thanks for taking some time this evening to visit with us. It's my pleasure to be here. Barb, why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about you, your background. I mean, I think people in the Pittsburgh area are going to know you, or at least people who have been around the Jewish community might know you. But why don't you just start with a little bit about yourself um, and how you got to where you are now? Um, yeah, I've been around for a while, um, so a lot of people know me, and I think my reputation preceded me here um, a bit. Um, but going back, I've been in Pittsburgh since I was 13. Um, I went to Peabody High School. I went to Duquesne University. I went to the University of Pittsburgh. I'm a Pittsburgh girl, and I'm a big fan of the city, and I left, and I came back. Uh, because I am a big fan, and I think it's a, a great place to live. Um, and it just, it has, it, if it had a beach, just if it had a beach, right, <laughs> everything would be perfect. Um, but I came out of um, a background in nonprofit management, and before that, I was actually a union stage manager for professional live theater. And I worked for, I was the company manager here in Pittsburgh for City Theater, but when they were still in Oakland, and I worked for the Three River Shakespeare Festival here, and then I went around the country. I did children's theater in Louisville, Kentucky. I did a Shakespeare Festival in Boise, Idaho. I did Summerstock in Maine, and I uh, wound up in Israel for a year working for two different theaters over there, and came back uh, and was a little bit burnt out. For, uh, stage management is very much like an ET. It's first in, last out, right? <laughs> it's a it's a, a buck stops here kind of a position. Yeah. Um, so it's a little burnout on that. So I was looking for something, and I've been inspired in Israel, right? My level of observance had gotten a little bit more. 
Um, and so I was interested in, in working in the community. And I wound up at the Pittsburgh Federation. And I was working with the community campaign. I ran Super Sunday for five years. And I worked with outlying communities, the small Jewish communities that surround Pittsburgh. And I did programming for them. They had very little Jewish programming in the Federation, funded programming. And so we're talking McKeesport and White Oak. We're talking Latrobe and Greensburg, Beaver, Beaver Falls, um, those kinds of areas, Ambridge. Um, and so I, I did, I worked there. I was um, really sort of, you know, got my fundraising chomps at the Federation. I'm very, I always say I'm very Federation trained in fundraising. Uh, and that's a very specific model uh, that many other nonprofits wind up mirroring or learning from. So it was a good basic education in both fundraising and nonprofit management. And from there, I moved on to the Jewish Healthcare Foundation, where I worked in a specific role um, as the fiscal agent for HIV AIDS uh, prevention and care programs. And I worked with upwards of 17 different subcontractors um, in each program year and did a lot of, in addition to just paying their invoices and funding their programs, a lot of these organizations, especially at that time, were very grassroots and undeveloped or unsophisticated in, in, in that world of nonprofit management and structure. So I did a lot of capacity building and technical assistance in how do you build a board of directors and how do you, you know, what is a mission statement? What's, what are visions and values? So um, I did a lot of work with grassroots organizations in that position. And from there, I took everything that I learned and I went to the American Civil Liberties Union, the Pittsburgh chapter of the ACLU of Pennsylvania. I started out as the director of the Pittsburgh chapter with Marion Damick, Rhoda Shalom member. Um, yeah. you know, and um, so I, I always say I'm well connected to Marion. And I, I, I called her out on something the other day. I said, you taught me that, Marion. You're complaining <laughs> about something. You taught me that. <laughs> um, so um, I eventually, after 16 years, I went risen through the ranks at the ACLU. And I was the deputy director for the ACLU of Pennsylvania for the larger umbrella organization. Um, and did a lot of work with the national organization. And the deputy director position was very much a, a director of finance and administration. So I was the primary, primary liaison to the board of directors, to the finance committee, to the nominating committee, to all of those kinds of, of standing committees that all nonprofits have. Uh, and um, after 16 years, that was a lot. And I took a break. And then I wound up at Tree of Life. About nine months after the shooting, um, I had been through their process for hiring an executive director. And I was there for two and a half years helping to bring them through um, a, lot of, a lot of the aftermath, both in how they dealt with not only the monetary contributions, but the stuff. You can't imagine how many pieces of art, cards, letters, stuff that had to be managed. And all of their plans for the future, I helped to manage those, bringing on um, a famous architect and a construction firm to get them moving towards the future. Um, and then um, 
And when I stepped down from that position, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I then wrote a shalom, advertised for an interim executive director. And I thought, I can do that. I know I was in that building for two and a half years as ED at Tree of Life. I know that building. I know it's a fabulous building. I know that staff. It's a fabulous staff. This has got to be a great gig. <laughs> so, um, and interim, right? What does interim mean? So, you know, as it, I, I'm not going to make the vast changes. That's going to be for a permanent. So I'm there to stabilize, to um, make sure morale stays high, and to keep, to herd the cats, as I always say. That's, one, that's my primary skill, is I know how to herd cats. So we bring all of that together, and we keep the organization at the extremely high level that it's been functioning at. Um, and and keep it stabilized and keep it going and, and really try to, to be supportive of, of what's already there. Well, you, you talk about it being a, a great building with a great staff. It also has great congregants because you're talking to two of them right now. So, you yeah, you know, yeah. you've, you've got great people in the building, too. Them, <laughs> them, absolutely. Uh, so, um, Barb, before we kind of get into a couple of the questions Sarah and I have, you know, I think <clears throat> I actually just want to know what is the role of the executive director? Because I think it's one of those those phrases that people might hear but might not have a great sense for day-to-day how you spend your time and what you're really doing. So tell us a little, just a briefly about what the role of the executive director is. Sure. So an executive director is responsible for keeping the organization on an even keel and heading towards fulfilling its mission in line with its vision. Vision is where you want to be in the future. And your values, which in case of the synagogue, obviously are Jewish values. And you want to make sure that everything that the organization does is in line with those values. So what does that mean? Those are nice, you know, nonprofit management buzzwords. Um, so what does that mean? It means working with and for the board of directors. In the case of synagogues, there's also a necessary partnership with the rabbinic staff, uh, and however many rabbis there may be. Um, that is a very important partnership that other nonprofits don't have that extra piece, right? And so in synagogues, that's an extra piece. So it is managing personnel. It is managing budget and finance. Um, and, over, and, and, and making sure that every decision that's made, again, is in line with that stated mission and vision. And the, I, the mission statement is on the website. Um, often the vision and the values are as well. And so on a day-to-day basis, I was joking this last week. I said, you people hired me to go to meetings. <laughs> this is I had, it's all I did last week. <laughs> I had, last Monday, I had eight meetings. I don't know how that happened. Um, and so, you know, it just, but what it does, especially since I've been here 20 minutes, right? I've been here three weeks. And so I'm still learning. Now, as much as I knew about the organization, um, I didn't know how every department was structured. I didn't know what every person's job was. But I spent a lot of time with as many of the, of the people as I can, board members and staff, and, and working through what are the things that you see that need to be done um, while I'm here. 
So, you know, we're getting through Passover. We've got the summer uh, to plan for high holidays. That's the, the big ticket item and the prime attraction. So you work all year to get there. Um, and so that planning will start sooner than you would think. Uh, and so that's what I, I hope to keep to keep people doing. And so that's so an executive director is that captain that um, makes sure that everybody else is also doing what they need to do. Yeah. So in thinking about, I'm glad that Bill asked what is an executive director because that's something that I think I it, it's a role that's very challenging in a lot of ways, and you're sort of pulling from different pieces and. A lot of navigation happens with it. And for me, in thinking about an executive director or in, honestly, in some of your previous positions you've had, you, you've been a leader in the Jewish community. And especially as an executive director, with the roles that it requires you to take on, how do you, I'm curious, how do you manage that with sort of your personal relationship with Judaism? Understood. Um, my level of observance is different from Reform Judaism. My personal, my my synagogue is Shari Torah, which is a modern Orthodox synagogue. Uh, I am um, Shomer Shabbos, Shomer Kashrus. I keep the Sabbath. I keep kosher. Um, and so it's it's a juggle, right? It's a how do you maneuver through these different kinds of things and um i you know just because my observance is x doesn't mean that i view anybody else's observance as lesser right it's just different it's just it, the connections as you say the connections to judaism might be different they might be exactly the same but we all make different choices i had a teacher a long time ago, Ron Bronner here in Pittsburgh, uh, he's since moved to Cleveland, who said that, um, I think Danny Schiff says this too, um, every Jew is a Jew by choice. In America in the 20th and 21st century, every Jew is a Jew by choice. Because you have that option in this, in my ACLU hat, land of freedom, right? Uh, <laughs> and, and so, you know, what people choose, who am I to, to say anything about that? So, so my relationship is, you know, it's a, is is different. My practice is, is different, um, both at Tree of Life and at Rotive. Everybody's we're incredibly respectful of each other uh, in the in those things and in those practices. Um, and so, you know, what it does do. I remember when I started working for the Jewish for the Federation. I lived in a small apartment on, on Forbes Avenue above the store. And I don't know, Boston Market or Wendy's or something had opened on the corner and the newspaper stand was always down the street. And it was like, I remember thinking, I can't go get my Sunday paper in my sweat because somebody's gonna see me and it won't, it will yeah. laugh on what I do in the community, right? So it's like, I got over that. I, but starting out in that career, it was like, all right, I can't. I got. I got to can't, go, can't run out Sunday late night in my pajamas to get the Saturday night to get the Sunday paper from the news, right? which doesn't even exist anymore. I'm old. <laughs> um, did that answer your question? Yeah, 
Yeah, it really, it really did. I'm really, uh, it's, it's wonderful to hear, to hear everything. It's just, it's encouraging for me as, uh, you know, I'm sure our listeners know I, uh, I'm a Jew by choice. And so it's, it's wonderful to see the diversity of the Jewish community valuing each other and working with each other. I just think that's really beautiful and and that you're able to have, you know, something for yourself as a Jew and then also contribute professionally to the Jewish community. Honestly, it's it's really wonderful. I will answer a question you didn't ask. I, uh, for 15 years, I ran uh, with a partner, um, a, a business theater partner, a Jewish women's theater group here in Pittsburgh called Kolisha, which means the voice of a woman and it also means all women, depending on how you spell in Hebrew the word kol. Our mission was to celebrate our similarities while exploring our differences. And we were made up, of, we were a group of women from the full spectrum of Judaism, from totally not Jewishly educated um, that Jewish socialist red diaper baby, which you won't know what I'm referring to, but your listeners will, um, through uh, reform, conservative, reconstruction, uh, orthodox, Lubavitch. Uh, we had married, divorced, children, no children, grandchildren, lesbians. We had whatever the diversity was, uh, we had no Jews of color then. We did not have a well. I take that back because we Kashira was then uh, Kashira um, Kashira Halev Five. Do we know Kashira? A lot of people know Kashira. She's doing. Um, she's a Kohenet. She's a, a a priestess, a Jewish priestess. She runs Kesher here in Pittsburgh, um, and um, and she was a part of us. So so we did include um, the Jew of color. I think we didn't acknowledge or recognize what that was at that time because it was a while ago. Um, but we produced our own plays. Um, the group wrote them, we developed them, and a lot of it, it was all about identity. And what does it mean to be a Jew? And how am I a Jew? And you're a Jew. How is that possible? You're so different from me because of X, Y, and Z. And what, what does that mean? And how, how do we all be Jews? That was, a, that, that was like, we met weekly. We met every Wednesday night for 15 years. And sometimes it was theater and sometimes it was group therapy. And um, we did some amazing things and did some really meaningful things for women in the community and for men as well. Yeah. It, was, it, it was quite the experience. And, and you know, that's where I, it, I came to it with that commitment to diversity. Um, and we were able to put that on a stage. So I'm very proud of that. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, so it's really I actually great. have an. I'm going to ask a question that I wasn't going to ask. Uh, I just realized that you said you went to Duquesne and the University of Pittsburgh. Did you study theater there, or were you interested in something else at the time? So I started out at Duquesne in journalism, and then was spending all my time in the theater. And so I wound up, my degree wound up being speech communication and theater. They didn't really have a, a really full theater program. The shows that we did were a group. They were a, a club kind of thing called the Red Masters. They still exist. And then I went to Pitt for graduate school in theater history, criticism, and literature. Um, and was stage managing. And 
um, came across a, a, a woman who was my mentor um, in the theater who told me that I was the best stage manager she had ever worked with and did I know I could do this for a living? And I was like, no. And I thought I was going to teach, right? I thought it was going <laughs> to... Um, and so Marcy set me on the road to, um, to a stage management career because uh, I had no idea I could do that. But uh, my graduate work was in theater, but it was in history, literature, and critics, not in production. Barb, I know, <clears throat> I know you're really busy, and we really appreciate your time this evening. And I think people are just going to get a snapshot of the type of person you are. And I know we're going to see a lot more of you in the coming months, especially around the congregation. Um, you know, Sarah and I really wanted to kind of finish with this because, you know, we, we, we joke a lot on this podcast about the, the younger generation of the congregation, right? Um, and I think that just fits the theme of doing a podcast, even though our average listeners over the age of 65, which I love, by the way. Um, but, you know, the, the question I think that Sarah and I have for you and, and just interested on your take on this is, you know, how do you balance the history of a congregation, you know, rich history um, at Rodef with an older generation who've, you know, been at Rodef for a long time. How do you balance that traditional piece with trying to engage new members, younger members, finding ways to be innovative? Um, you know, I think that I'm just interested from your perspective as, as the executive director, how do you, how do you balance that and where where do you see the future of Jewish congregations going in 5, 10, 20, 25 years? You know, I, I just think about my, my daughter is four and a half months old now. I, I just, I can't even envision what the congregation is going to look like when it's time for her to go through, you know, a bar mitzvah or, you know, so I, I'm, I'm interested to hear from you. And I think we're, we both are. Where, how do you balance that as an executive director? And where do you feel like you're going to take us? It, you know, it's, it's very difficult. There's no easy answers to this. And um, I think, um, I don't want to talk about COVID, but it complicated things in this way. Reform of conservative Judaism by moving to services on Zoom, the entire business model for those congregations is now gone. That concept of paying a few thousand dollars to belong to a synagogue so I can attend services, in particular high holidays. Why do I need to continue to do that, whether I'm old or whether I'm a young family, when I can sit at my dining room table in my pajamas on Rosh Hashanah morning and attend services at Central Synagogue in New York City? Or... Temple Sinai with Rabbi Wolpe in Los Angeles, right? Mm -hmm. Why do I need to pay you, Rhoda Shalom, to be able to, to come into the building? for So I think the movements themselves are going to have to come to terms with this because we're not going back. We will be hybrid in some way. Um, I prefer to call it multi-access rather than hybrid because it's about the people and not about the technology. And... So I think that we will be on camera for services for the foreseeable future. I don't see that um, at all. So then what's, what's the value added for belonging to a synagogue? Do things become transactional? And I don't, even, I don't know that I know that that's what that means, right? The, 
the major complication, and not in reform so much, but more conservative, is for people. One of the reasons we need to be there all the time and not just be open three days a week and rent the JCC for services is for people who need those life cycle events. For the people who need a baby naming or a bris or, God forbid, a funeral and are saying Kaddish, right? We need to be there. And that means we need to be there all the time. Just because you don't need us at this moment doesn't mean we shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. So we need to figure out, as, as in these various movements, what that means. What does it mean to, for, you know, for older folks who, for whom saying Kaddish and, and yard sites are very, very meaningful, and they want our doors open all the time so that they have that access. Um, and for younger families who want the Jewish programming and the Jewish education for their kids, um, and for singles as a way to meet other Jewish singles, for all of that, how do you, you know, how transactional does that become? And does that, does that undermine what a congregation is as a, as a family, as a place to gather, as a, a not, it's not a JCC, but a synagogue is a community center, right? It yeah. is a center of a community. Yeah. And so how do you maintain community? that welcomes everybody and is of value to everybody. I don't have an answer, I have lots of questions. Um, But I think those are the lenses that we have to look through um, in order to to maintain, to change, um, and to ensure a future. And I think you, you just made a really poor distinction, right? That those are the lenses in which we need to view these types of questions. And I think, you know, you would agree that it's never going to be just solely one person's decision, right? Like it's a group decision, but I think the way you lay it out, I think really speaks to the, the challenge, right? Of, of, and I think every, every organization, like you said, is, is approaching this and dealing with this going into 2022 and, and beyond. But, um, the, the issue is definitely pressing in a lot of ways for Jewish congregations, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Barb, we just want to thank you for taking a little bit of time for your leadership in our congregation. We really enjoyed the chance to visit with you. Um, we will uh, certainly talk to you soon. Maybe we can do a follow-up episode. I'm sure that Sarah and I would, would be more than willing to oh, sit down again. I would love to, yeah. I feel, <laughs> yeah. I feel honored because I, <laughs> I feel like I get to, like, meet people in the Jewish community through this podcast and it's been such a pleasure speaking with you and getting to know more so I'm I absolutely all about checking in with you again later absolutely my pleasure this was completely painless so anybody else that, that you ask to be on your podcast I will tell them that this was, this was really enjoyable and you are smart and attentive and um, <laughs> asked really good questions that were very you triggered a lot to come out of me, so thank you. Well, good. As as non professional journalists, we do yeah. our best. <laughs> yeah. well, well done. Thanks, well Barb. Done. Thank you. Fifteen minutes with a mensch is a podcast supported by the Prayer, Practice, and Learning Committee of Deaf Shalom Congregation in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. For more information on upcoming events or how you can get involved, visit our website at www.rodefshalom.org. 
I'm Bill Battistone. And I'm Sarah Greenwald. 